0: The earliest known picture of the crucifixion dates back to about 200 AD. And it's not what you would expect. It's a piece of graffiti, which was carved into a wall in Rome. And it's not a flattering image, but shocking and blasphemous. A man with the head of a donkey is strapped and nailed to a cross and next to the cross is a crudely drawn figure wearing the short tunic of a slave. And under this figure is a caption written in barely legible Greek, saying, Alexamenus worships God. We don't know the details behind this artifact, but probably Alexamenos was a Christian, and a fellow slave scrawled this image to make fun of him. What is being lampooned here is something that would have been absurd to people living in late antiquity, the worship of a crucified God. So this evening on Good Friday, I want us to carefully consider the shame of the cross, the folly of the idea that God himself accepted death in the form of a crucified carpenter in order to break the power of death and bring salvation to those who believe. It's good that we have the crosses covered in this room because we need to see the cross with fresh eyes. We need to understand it for what it is, an instrument of torture, dishonor, and death. Even in our post-Christian culture, one can find crosses in many places, on the lapels of some businessmen, on business cards, on car bumpers, perhaps even in the ears or around the necks of popular music stars. In the 1980s, when Madonna first hit the scene, someone asked her about the cross she wore around her neck, and she replied, it's sexy to wear a crucifix because there's a naked man on it. Now, before we consign Madonna to the ninth circle of hell, we need to acknowledge that her perverse understanding reflects a larger problem, a problem that ultimately we, the church, are responsible for. And here's the problem. The cross gets emptied of its true meaning and shocking significance. How is this possible? Well, for starters, we don't live in a culture that tortures and executes people publicly. Capital punishment is controversial, and even when it is carried out, it's not a public spectacle. Most of us haven't witnessed a human being uh, uh, torture to death. Uh, Our movies and television shows may contain graphic violence, but it's not the same as witnessing this in person. And because of our historical distance from Christ's crucifixion, it's possible to regard the cross as an abstraction with emotional indifference. That would have been impossible, though, for people who lived in the ancient world, whether Greeks, Romans, Jews, or barbarians. The cross was utterly offensive, an abomination to human dignity. Degradation was the whole point. Today, in reference to Christ's cross, we sing Amazing Grace, but we must remember that crucifixion was the ultimate disgrace. Too little like it does for many today. The cross was something to cherish in their hearts, not on their necks. This dynamic with the early church changed when Emperor Constantine became a Christian. Famously, he had a vision of the cross. He legalized Christianity and at one point he outlawed crucifixion. And about half a century after his conversion, we begin to see crosses widely used as a symbol of worship and in funerals. The scripture uh, passage on the front of our worship guide for this evening consists only of three words. They crucified him. They of course refers to the Romans and Romans practiced crucifixion regularly and mercilessly. They perfected it, if we can say such a thing. Crucifixion, of course, was a form of capital punishment, but it wasn't only a means of liquidating undesirables. There are much easier ways to kill people, after all. It was intended for maximum humiliation and pain. It dehumanized a person on every human level, Indeed, a crucified victim was considered to be subhuman. The bodies of the victims would often be mutilated and dishonored. Some victims were crucified upside down. Others would have their private parts impaled. It was a death of utmost indignity. And of course, crucifixion was also about political power. It clearly conveyed that Rome held human life very cheap. This is what happens to those who mess with Rome. So the Romans justified crucifixion as a deterrent. Quintilian, a Roman orator and contemporary of Paul, praised the crucifixion of criminals as a good thing. He argued that crosses should be set up on the busiest roads to be viewed by all. And this was often done. But despite his frequency, crucifixion was not highly regarded by the elite of the empire. Cicero, the famous orator and philosopher who lived in the first century BC, called crucifixion a most cruel and disgusting punishment. And Varro, who was a Roman general who lived at the same time, wondered if the Romans were in fact barbarians because they crucified people. It's probably for this reason that we have very few detailed descriptions of crucifixion from the ancient world. The cultured, civilized world seldom mentioned it. And the most detailed descriptions of the practice are actually found in the New Testament. In the end, crucifixion was seen as a punishment for the lower classes. And when it is described in Roman writing, it's most often regarded as a punishment for insubordinate slaves. This is most dramatically illustrated in the response of Rome to the great slave rebellions of the second century BC. Has anyone seen the movie Spartacus? With uh, Kirk Douglas and Laurence Olivier? After Spartacus and his co-conspirators were defeated, they and 6,000 other rebel slaves were nailed to crosses and they were placed along the Via Appia, the road that goes to Rome. 6,000 crucifixions at once. The victims after they died were not taken down from the crosses, so their corpses were left to rot and left to wild animals and birds of prey. And this, this was common. This was sort of the final humiliation, no proper burial. The connection between crucifixion and slavery really does help to illuminate our epistle passage from this last Sunday, Philippians 2, and here we see that Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. The Greek word translated servant is doulos. And probably a better translation of that word is bondservant or slave. Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of a slave. And we see that he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So for most Romans, crucifixion was primarily a punishment for slaves. It was extreme humiliation, shame, and torture. It was a measure which was fitting for low-life slaves. But as we read on in the Philippians passage, we see that because Jesus was obedient to a slave's death, he is highly exalted. What was supposed to degrade him actually ennobles him. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who understood humiliation, He spent the last years of his life in a Nazi prison before he was executed. He wrote the following about Christ's posture in the crucifixion. He said, Christ is weak and powerless in the world. And that is precisely the way the only way in which he is with us and helps us. Christ helps us not by his omnipotence, but by virtue of his weakness and suffering. Somehow, in a moment of profound weakness, Jesus accomplishes the mightiest act, our salvation. If we read the passion story carefully, we just heard it. We see not only Christ's weakness, but human weakness all around. The disciples' weakness, everyone except for John was hiding for their lives. The Jewish leaders' weakness, their jealousy and their hatred of Jesus. Pilate's weakness, he should have released Jesus if he was innocent. The soldier's weakness, their mockery demonstrated that the veneer of Roman civilization was a facade, a lie. The crowd's weakness, their sadistic mockery of Christ revealed their own helplessness and hopelessness. In sum, the entire weakness of the human race, our sin put Jesus on the cross but in this moment of profound weakness, weakness that stretched from the pit of hell to the heights of heaven. God manifested his strength most dramatically and convincingly. The cross was a moment of shame and weakness, but Jesus, as the author to the letter of the Hebrews tells us, despised the shame, disregarded the shame. He didn't transcend it. Right before that it says he endured the cross He entered into the suffering fully, but he disregarded the shame. And with the words, it is finished, he accomplished our redemption. This is the Paschal mystery, the mystery of Easter. And it's why the apostle Paul, a killer of Christians whose life was turned upside down on the road to Damascus, it's why he wrote the following far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. These are radical words reflecting Paul's radical transformation because no one in the ancient world in their, own, in their right mind boasted about a cross. Paul says more about this in 1 Corinthians where he speaks of the crucified Messiah as a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Greeks. In his two decades of ministry up to that point, how many times had Paul been mocked and bitterly rejected because of his obsession with Christ and him crucified? The word of the cross was a highly offensive message and it put a tremendous burden on him and his converts. So not surprisingly, the carnal Corinthians shied away from it. Who wouldn't in this culture? So Paul reminds them early on in his first letter that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but the power of God to those who are being saved. The root of the Greek word for foolishness here is where we get our word moron. In the eyes of the ancient world, Paul was a moron. He was a fool a madman. Hence, the donkey head drawing, I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, but this foolishness somehow, some way, is the power of God. So on this Good Friday, we consider the paradox of a crucified God. In Byzantine iconography of the cross, there are words above the head of Jesus, but they're not the words of Pilate's inscription, King of the Jews. Instead they are the words King of glory. Mysteriously then, and this is a mystery, the cross becomes Christ's throne. That is the greatest irony of human history and divine history. It's the great Paschal mystery that the one who died the death of a slave is exalted as the Lord of all creation. So as I close, I invite you to gaze upon our crucified King, the paradoxical King of glory. For the power of paradox opens our eyes and blinds those who say they can see.